0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts.
1: Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's uh, Tuesday, of course, as we get The Real Investment Show underway. And, uh, of course, getting ready to wrap up this week, next week, Thanksgiving. Pretty much inmates running the asylum all week next week, so everybody will be leaving out for the Hamptons, of course, uh, very shortly, jumping on private jets out of uh, New York, all the traders leaving for the day, all the uh, cryptocurrency miners out for the weekend. Yeah, we'll talk some more about that today. Um, But things do finally appear to be breaking. I mean, um, we've talked about recently the issues with Bank of England. We've talked about the issues with Bank of Japan. Of course, uh, for the last couple of days, I've just been bombarded with interviews over the whole FTX thing. But again, this is kind of symptomatic of what we tend to see, you know, post these periods where people just kind of forget about valuations and just start throwing money at whatever it is. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about FTX this morning. But, you know, here's a, here's a company that was, you know, a, a guy creates an exchange and people throw billions of dollars at him, right? I mean, they, they value this company as much as $32 billion as of the last uh, funding ra- uh, round that he took in from venture capitalists. And again, people are, you know, and, and, and look, it just goes to show you the professionals, they're really no better at investing than the average person because they get swept up into the hype just like everybody else. And you know, forget about you know, doing actual due diligence or business valuations. It's like, oh, we've got to be in this space. We've got to get in there. We'll throw money at it. This looks like a good deal, right? But again, when you start to actually break down the business models and, and these type of things, you see that there's some real problems with this stuff. And again, stuff that these investors should have caught up front, and now you take a look at venture capital today they're actually even doing it right now. Venture capital at this moment has some of the highest cash piles on record. 529 billion dollars of cash that are just that has been invested into venture capital firms but not deployed. So they've got to they've got to do something with this money. Well, instead of you know, when you take a look at the valuations of late stage companies, these are companies that are actually up and running, doing well. Those valuations, what they're willing to pay for those companies, is far less than right now what they're willing to pay for brand new upstart companies. So early stage companies, companies are just getting off the ground. These venture capital firms trying to find that next big hit, right? Trying to trying to replicate what they were doing in 2020, 2021. These companies are coming out of the gate, getting venture funding, going to IPO very quickly. If they couldn't get to an IPO fast enough, they were doing them through these um, SPAC issuances, these special purpose acquisition companies, backing companies into that to get them public. And that's how they were making their money, right? And they just made a lot of money, but it didn't really matter how good the company was. It just, they had to have something to get to market. Well. The problem is is that a lot of those companies, now that they've gone public, the venture capital guys got their money. You got sold the stock, didn't wind up with that great of a deal. So, so again, just because Wall Street brings it out into the public doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing, right? So do your homework, do your research. But this is what happens after we have these big run-ups in the markets and this kind of exuberant speculation where seemingly nothing can go wrong you get into a period where we you have this reversion to reality, something that we warned about numerous times in 2020, 2021. We said, hey, this is going to come, right? We wrote articles about uh, these <laughs> digital pet rocks that were being sold and people were piling in buying these NFTs of pet rocks because people were throwing money at everything. But now that's all come home to roost, right? We're starting to see these things break. And that's what you would expect to see as the Fed continues to hike rates. And one thing of our you know, one part of our concern going into next year is that a lot of people are hoping that maybe the bottom of the market is in, right? We've had this very nice rally over the course of the last 3-4 weeks, something we had talked about back at the end of September. We said, "Hey, markets are very oversold, very negative." And we even wrote an article late September Call the big short squeeze is coming. And that's what we've been seeing here, right? So we've had this nice rally uh, last Thursday, a 5.5% advance in the markets in one day, huge pop up in the market. Of course, uh, that came on the back of that weaker than expected inflation number. Um, markets rallied a little bit more on Friday, sold off a little bit yesterday, not surprising. He had a really big move yesterday, uh, over the last couple of days. So a little bit of a give back yesterday, not surprising here. But, but again, markets are trying to work up, as we said, you know, kind of our target around four thousand forty one hundred, trying to push up in that direction. That's where the 200-day moving average is. And again, that certainly wouldn't be surprising here, particularly going into next week. Markets tend, historically, to perform a little bit better, uh, both pre-holiday and post-holiday periods on, around Thanksgiving, because basically there's nobody around, right? It's like I said, inmates running the asylum. So again, markets can kind of keep this momentum going here a little bit longer. Don't, wouldn't be surprised about that. As we've talked about before, now once we get into the first part of December, you've got about 20 percent of all the mutual funds that are going to come out. They're going to have to start distributing their gains and in interest income for the year for their bond fund. They've got interest income. They got to distribute that. So as they start to make those distributions, that tends to weigh on the markets. Now, if we go back to September where we had this sell off in September, we had 25 percent of mutual funds here during this period in September, making those distributions, right? You had 25% of mutual funds with end of years in September. Well, we have 20% coming up uh, of those mutual funds with end of year redemptions uh, in December. Now, once we get through that first couple of weeks of December, they get the off the books, they're going to have to rebalance their accounts for the end of the year reporting. And again, there's a lot of mutual funds, hedge funds, pension funds, et cetera, that have got to report out for the end of the year, do their fourth quarter reporting. And that's where you have this traditional kind of window dressing. We call it the Santa Claus rally, but typically it's just basically these pension funds, hedge funds, mutual funds, et cetera, that have to do these reporting to get all the assets on their books, make sure they have all the right stocks, they're all in the right places, and they have their money actually allocated so they can bill on it. So <laughs> that's why you get that uh, kind of last couple of weeks rally here. So over the next couple of weeks, expect at least uh, you know, a bit of volatility here. There's not a lot of upside in the markets. As we've talked about before, markets are starting to work up more back towards their kind of overbought conditions. Uh, Yesterday, we sold a little bit of equity in our portfolios. Uh, Again, as we've been talking about, using this rally to reduce some risk, raise a little bit of cash. So we did that again yesterday. If we get some more rally later this week, we'll do that again, Uh, a little bit more into next week. We want to kind of get ready for a little bit of sloppiness uh, starting in the first couple of weeks of December. But again, uh, the, uh, the big chunk of this rally now has eaten up that really oversold negative condition that we saw before. So, again, upside here is limited. Make sure and use that here for a bit just to, to raise a little bit of cash, reduce some overall risk, and just kind of prepare as we get to next year. Now, now that's the important thing, too, is to remember as we get into next year, we're not through this yet right you know while there's a lot of hope that this decline this year is the bulk of the bear market and it'll be over with next year we'll be back to the races in terms of a bull market probably not uh, and the reason is is that the fed is still hiking rates yes they're going to taper that pace of rate hikes in december but they're still hiking rates they're still going to hike 50 basis points which is an aggressive move at any point in history Right? Another couple of 25 basis points hikes once we get into uh, the first part of 2023. So all those rate hikes still, that lag effect has got to catch up with, with the economy. It's going to slow down earnings and revenue growth for companies. It's going to press margins. So again, as we start to get into next year, we're going to have to contend with all of these rate hikes that the Fed has done. And, and most likely, at some point here, as, as we again, uh, again continue to talk about the risk of something breaking, keep a watch on the housing market. We're going to talk about that this, a little bit more this morning. But that's the one kind of big indicator you want to watch because it impacts the majority of Americans. Be right back after the break with more of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Rathlet, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show. It's uh, 617 on this chilly Houston morning. I tell you what, if you live in the Houston area, it's the uh, first snap of really good winter coming in, 44 degrees this morning. Of course, uh, it's supposed to get uh, a little bit more sloppy over the next couple of days. We'll see. But, uh, again, it's, it's nice to finally get past the heat of summer. It's that first nice cold snap of winter. And uh, woke up this morning, a little, bit of, a little bit of chill in the air. So it's a good thing. But speaking about chill in the air, Sam Bankman-Fried, I've been spending the last couple of days just back-to-back interviews on this whole FTX debacle. Now we touched a little bit on this last week and we you know we talked about the the problem with FTX was that, you know, it, it really kind of undermines the whole hope, right, of what cryptocurrency was was going to try to be, right? So cryptocurrency is going to be this DeFi um, you know decentralized currency of the world and it was the people's currency and and you know finally we get away from these fiat currencies of governments and all the control sounds great fine and dandy but it's just been for the last couple of years it's, it's just been kind of one hack after another and it's been kind of one fraud or sham that's been popped up or another of course FTX is just the latest and Again, look, you know, the, the facts are too new. I'm not saying that it was all a fraud and a sham and everything else. I'm not saying that. But there's certainly some inklings that there were some non kosher activities that were going on within the company with customer funds. And, and this brings up a point. This is something that I, that I had an interview yesterday. Um, and 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 was talking specifically about this is that you know one of the one of the issues as we said last week that's going to come out of this is it's going to be regulated. Uh, regulations are coming, and and it's interesting now that you know initially with the cryptocurrency crew it was we don't want any regula- you know no regulatory oversight we don't want any of that this is you know it's it's all you know this is all kind of just us right we don't want any government intervention in this now there's calls for regulation. And binance, which is the other major exchange um, which right now runs about seventy percent seventy six percent of all the the transactions, you know they're actually calling for for regulation and look, regulation is a good thing right you need some regulation, otherwise you just kind of have the wild west, and you know people get hurt, and that's just it you know and I'm not so you know while while you know when the Constitution was written you know for for The country, it was pretty much, you know, here's kind of the the basic rights you have, right? Freedom of speech, liberty, pursuit of happiness, those type of things. Pretty much everything else left up to the states. And, you know, we've kind of gone way too far now with government regulation in terms of what we're regulating in terms of the country. But there's a need for regulation, right? You, You can just go too far with regulation. But having no regulation, you get anarchy. Right? So you, there's there's got to be a happy medium here somewhere, right? But you got to have some regulation. So I don't, you know, nobody's arguing that. But, you know, the, the issue of what we saw come out of this and is is something that has evolved from the financial markets and we talked about this last week is that, you know, from 19, you know, prior to 1929, there was no real regulation for the securities industries. And, and people were, you know, buying and selling securities on the exchange. Everything was fine. Then you had the 1929 crash. The banks fail. People lose everything. And we go, hey, you know what? Maybe there's, maybe there's a need for some regulation, right? So we formed the SEC and, you know, went from there. You know, after Enron collapsed, we passed regulation to try to stop corporate fraud. Um, after Bernie Madoff, we passed regulation. So, you know, every time we have these kind of disasters in the country – financial crises the 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 great housing bust etc you know we, we passed regulation it was like man can't let that happen again unfortunately what we don't do is pass regulation in advance of seeing these problems coming so you know when you're when a, a new emerging you know thing is coming up and everybody's piling into it maybe that's the point everybody says hey, hey uh, you know let's, let's put the brakes on here real quick before you start sinking all your money into this let's Kind of examine this and lay some found work, lay some ground rules here. And one thing is, is you know, when you have your money at Fidelity or Charles Schwab, for instance, as an advisor, you know, as RA advisors and as CIO for RA advisors, you know, we custody assets. We don't hold assets. we don't hold client money. We can't touch client money in our firm, right? Our clients' assets are held with a major custodian, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Interactive Brokers. So that's where your money's held. Those firms have insurance against failure. Not only are they insured by SIPC insurance, it's also covered by private insurance that they acquire to ensure that in the event of a default or failure, et cetera, that customer funds are safe. And if you're going to be in an exchange and hold customer funds, you need some type of control. One of the, and, and one of those rules, very clear, is that you don't play with client money. Right? You, know, it's just, you don't touch it. It's you, you, you leave that alone. And that's not what happened in this case. Client funds got used for other, other issues, trading, et cetera. And, and I'm sure that coming out of this, we'll find out exactly what happened with these funds. It's likely won't be pretty. But... You know, when you kind of go back and, and look at this and, and talk about, you know, kind of where the industry goes to from here, you know, regulations coming. And, and the question is, is how much regulation are we talking about and how much is good regulation and how much is too much regulation? You know, part of the appeal of cryptocurrency was its an- anonymity. Well, the problem with regulation is, is that anonymity gets lost. Because in order to regulate something, you need to know where everything is and who it belongs to. So I can't have a bunch of anonymous holders of currency doing things that I don't know what they're doing. So the anonymity part will have to go away. That's just going to be part of the regulatory swing. But coming out of this on the other side for Sam Bankman-Fried, and again, you have to wonder about you know as soon as you start hearing people go by acronyms, You know, SBF, he's the guy. My old buddy SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried. You always have to start wondering. I mean, here's a kid, he's 29, 30 years old, worth, you know, $30 billion at his peak. Questions should have been asked up front, like, hey, no offense, you're 29 years old. You're running a company with a lot of customer assets. You have no real experience, right? You created a thing, which is awesome, but you have no real experience running this type of company and one this size, in particular, where you're responsible for a lot of customer assets. This is where a board of directors, and this was part of what Sarbanes-Oxley was working on, was trying to encourage Board, You know, companies had to have board of directors, they had to have non-insider members on the board, right? So you could get some objectivity, right? Some oversight, that's the whole point of having a board. Not just to let you kind of run Wild West. And, you know, it, it was interesting that, you know, now that this is all kind of coming to light, everybody's going, yeah, well, what the hell was going on? What were these people thinking? So, when we come back from the break, though, we'll we'll pick up here in just a second because there's just some other kind of fascinating parts that are coming out of this. But it's once you start, and we were talking about this in the opening segment. You know, venture capital has so much money that they've got to get deployed. If I give money to a venture capital firm, they have to deploy it. They just can't sit on it. So they've got to find deals to put that money in. And when you have five hundred billion dollars that you've got to deploy. The problem comes is that you just start sticking money into anything, trying to get that money deployed so that you can charge a fee on it. Otherwise, you have to give the money back, and they don't want to do that, right? So it doesn't mean that you get good quality businesses. It just means that you get, say, a business, and that's part of what we saw happen in – the environment over the last couple of years is a lot of money got invested without a lot of really strict oversight. Anyway, we'll come back. We'll talk about how all this kind of ends up potentially. Also got to talk a little bit this morning about some of the economic data coming down the pipe. We're going to have some more inflation data coming out this morning with PPI, producer price index. That's probably going to show another decline as we've seen import prices coming down. That's going to help also should help support the markets. Again, this kind of hope that we're going to get a contraction Or some disinflation coming through the system helping support prices here over the last couple of days in particular but again we'll probably get another confirmation of that today um on the producer side again this this none of this really has much to do with what the the federal reserve looks at which is the trimmed mean pce that's the personal consumption expenditure inflation data they look at a little bit of a different measure but all this other inflation data CPI PPI etc all feeds into us. so anyway, we'll we'll come back we're going to catch up with all that talk about the markets and some more be sure to get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com our latest blog post up on the website now uh, talking about why midterm elections tend to be good for the stock market even during bear markets stocks tend to do a little bit better um, particularly and again we don't know the results of the, of the midterm election yet. Still waiting. But, you know, if we do wind up with a gridlock situation, markets tend to really like that a whole lot better. Anyway, so get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com and don't forget if you haven't signed up, we are having today at 12:15 uh, is our sorry, 12 noon, sorry, I don't know want I said 12:15, but 12 noon today We are having our year-end economic review. I'll be joining Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso uh, to talk about the economy, the markets, where we go to from here next year, what to expect, um, what kind of opportunities makes this. We're going to get through all that today, how midterms are going to affect that. That's all going to be at 12 today. So just get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click the banner at the top of the page to get registered for this afternoon's event. It's absolutely free, of course. But we'll be going through all that at 12 noon today to Zoom. So just simply uh, register online um, at realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Can't
0: you hear the sound that's in the air? Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event, Tuesday, November 15th, how to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment
0: Show. So
1: just for the break, We're just talking a little bit about FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Of course, the outcome of this is still unraveling, and we're going to find out a lot more in coming days as more and more investigations. The Bahama regulators are now investigating um, Sam directly. There is a move by the Manhattan Manhattan District Attorney to investigate Sam Bankman-Fried as well. So again, investigations are, are going to be forthcoming and results are going to be interesting to watch and of course the question is is where is sam bankman freed at the moment um there was a twitter rumor over the weekend he had fled to argentina we'll see (laughs) we'll see if that's the case his uh but just in case you're interested he has listed his bahamas penthouse for 40 million dollars so it lives in, It's an exclusive penthouse in an exclusive little area of the Bahamas, overlooks the ocean. It's got all the trappings of what you would expect of a billionaire, you know, cryptocurrency guy with a Bahama residence. Um, anyway, that's for sale for a cool $39,500,000. So if you've got some left-pocket change, looking for that. I just think it's interesting, though. They did an interview with Sam Bankman-Fried um, before he kind of really went all out. And, you know, I just have to wonder. And when you take a look at the the penthouse, you can go online, you can get the tour of the penthouse. And as you tour the penthouse, you should have this playing in the background. This was an interview that was done with Sam Bankman Freed about his aspirations.
2: I wanted to get rich, not because I like money, but because I wanted to give that money to charity. Say that you have $100 and you want to figure out what you can do with it to help the world. Earning to Give is thinking about which causes, which charities save the most lives per dollar. This $100 can go as far as it possibly can to help the world.
1: Last year, this 29-year-old guy donated $50 million. Next year, he's planning
0: to donate $500 million a year. And next decade,
1: he will probably give away more than $10 billion.
2: The amount of good that you can do for the future of the world is is really large and it's way more than you can do to actually make yourself happy with a- anything like that amount of money
1: well of course that's with the exception of the 40 million dollars you spent on a penthouse which would make me happy <laughs> but this actually goes you know what's interesting uh, about this interview is twofold one is who gave this guy 30 billion dollars <laughs> You know, just on evaluation, I just, you know, that's, that's the one thing. Uh, but seriously, you know, this comes back to another issue that we've talked about here recently. And, and when you think about kind of the economy today and, and ESG investing, we've, we've talked a lot about this environmental, social governance, um, you know, issue. You know, one of the things that has been promoted by the World Economic Forum and Sam Bankman-Fried was all wrapped up into this and not just him. I mean, a lot of co- companies have gotten swept up into this whole idea about shareholder capitalism, shareholder capitalism, right? Stakeholder capitalism. And what this is, this isn't about Shareholders. Stakeholder capitalism is a different thing. Now, companies normally operate under the premise that they're going to grow the business and that all the investors that invested into the company, they participate in the growth and success of that business. And the business is to do what is in the best interest of the shareholders at all times. We have all kinds of rules for that. Shareholders have all kinds of legal rights and protections for the corporation if they're going to you know so you can do whatever you want with your own personal business. You can start your own business, be 100% shareholder of your own business, do whatever the hell you want, right? You can take money out, do whatever you want, doesn't matter. It's all you. Once you start taking on investors, partners, etc. you no longer have that capability. You have to be responsible to the shareholders. And the company is to operate in a manner that is in the best interest of those shareholders, right? So, you go make acquisitions, you run the business properly, you grow it, you be successful, everybody makes money, right? Everybody's happy. That's not stakeholder capitalism. That's not what they're talking about. Stakeholder capitalism and this is something that Sam Bankman-Fried was was discussing, even though indirectly, and of course, remember, he's you know, very much you know, tied into, he donated $40 million to the Democratic Party, which is a big supporter of this idea of stakeholder capitalism, I'll tell you why. BlackRock, who's one of his primary investors, also very big on this whole ESG, stakeholder capitalism bench. Stakeholder capitalism is the idea that corporations have a responsibility to take care of the world. You're too stupid as an individual to take care of yourself, so corporations need to do it for you. They need to make sure that you read the right information, that you watch the right things, that you do the right things. And... Corporations' responsibility, this is the idea of the World Economic Forum and stakeholder capitalism, is that corporations are there to make sure that you comply with what is best in their view. Now, think about that for a moment. The benefit of socialism over time has always been that it allowed the wealthy to control the poor, right? So, you know, you go back throughout history, every major empire in the world, it was a function where the wealthy controlled the outcome, right? You know, the kingdoms were there and they allowed individuals to have some land that was owned by the kingdom, but you were able to farm it, but then you had to pay your ties to the kingdom, right? Taxes. And that worked great until of, you know, the function that the kingdom became greedier and greedier and needier and took more and more and more from the individual. And the serfs had nothing, basically, and they just produced everything for, for, for the wealthy. And so you had two classes. You had the poor and you had the rich. What stakeholder capitalism does is create a world where corporations remain in control. The wealthy, of course, control the corporations. So while you talk about these ideas about you need, right, you, the individual, you need to be conserving more. You need to stop eating meat because it pollutes the atmosphere. You need to stop using your electricity because it pollutes the atmosphere, et cetera, so forth and so on. But they don't do that. Right, They're flying around in private jets and doing whatever they do. But you should not be doing that. And this is why they keep getting in trouble all the time because you know, they, they run around, they promote these ideas of you know, we got to save the planet and they're flying around in private jets and you know, you've got to wear a mask and have vaccines, but they're at parties unmasked and you know, doing whatever. You know, it's, it's a very lopsided coin, but this is the idea of stakeholder capitalism, which is that stakeholder capitalism controls the socioeconomic environment to their benefit. And this keeps you from having control of that aspect. They get you to buy what you what they want you to buy. They get you to go where you want to go. They get you to do what you want to do. And that was one of the, the big experiments of the lockdowns, which was – You know, if we lock down the economy, will everybody comply? And, man, people just fell in like sheep, except for the few people that ran around. They're like, I'm not getting vaccinated. And they were outcasts, right? So if you're non-vaccinated, you're an outcast. Everybody else, right in line, which is exactly what they wanted to see. So now they know for certain that this stakeholder capitalism will eventually work. And this has been the whole point of, of this push of ESG and stakeholder capitalism because people will fall in line and do what they do what governments want them to do. And that's okay, right? As long as it's done in the best interest supposedly of the of the population, right? It's okay. Corporations can be in control, no problem. But that's not what capitalism is. See, capitalism was never meant to be that. And, and they, they try to make this sound enticing because it's stakeholder capitalism, right? So capitalism, that is the economic system that was an experiment founded by this country. It had never been tried before in any other country in the world, historically. And it was a fascinatingly, amazingly successful experiment created the greatest wealth ever generated in a country in history. So now this idea of stakeholder capitalism is like, hey, this is capitalism in a form that's best for you. Who could argue with that? Problem is, is people are starting to figure it out. Be right back after the break.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Raplett and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review. Economic Review Special Event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Real Investment The Real Investment
0: Show.
1: Some uh, funny headlines out this morning. In 1996, Pepsi joked about giving away a fighter jet for Pepsi points. Um, two dudes helped Pepsi, as hold, well, holding Pepsi to it actually. Uh, documentaries on Netflix are a dime a dozen, but there's a new one out called Pepsi. Where's my jet? Is one that's kind of going to be worth watching. I'm, I'm going to read this for you so I get this uh, completely correct. Uh, Pepsi. Where's my jet? Is set to chronicle a college student's battle with the soda empire over a sweepstakes commercial that promised a customer could in theory win a 23 million dollar harrier fighter jet now if you don't know the harrier fighter jet that's uh the jet that is vertical lift off take off and landing um just by buying a whole bunch of pepsi so in 1996, Pepsi TV commercial promised if you collected seven million Pepsi points. Now, who the hell would collect that many points in 1996? Right? It was a pretty right. Well, you know, we talked about last week, um, and Brent's actually running the the uh, teaser for our show for for this right now. You've you've probably already heard it, but we were joking last week about betting 100 to one you know, long shot odds. Right? That's that was the odds of Pepsi, right? There's, it's, it's a million to one, or in this case, seven million to one, that somebody would actually collect this many points will never have to give away the jet. It'll never happen. Unfortunately, somebody did it, <laughs> and they want their jet. So. We'll, we'll see. It's going to be worth watching. I haven't watched it yet, but it's it's now on my watch list.
2: They read the fine print in the contest and realized that you didn't have to buy the Pepsi to get the points. You could buy the points. Yeah. And they found a guy to invest and bought up the points, and they're holding them to it. <laughs> so it's
1: going to see. It's going to be fun. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I love when this kind of stuff goes <laughs> wrong, right? I mean, it's like you just can't make this up. No, you can't make it's something else. You can't make up. Talking about FTX. Yeah. So the Miami Heat, did you see this headline? I have not. You have not seen this. Miami Heat has now terminated all business relations with the bankrupt FTX crypto exchange, Sam Bankman-Fried. This was despite, despite, mind you, signing a two-decade deal for $135 million. Now, here, hold on a second for me. Back up just one moment here. So here's this kid. 30 years old, running this crypto exchange. So you're putting your money in the crypto exchange, and he's trading exchange, buying a $40 million penthouse in the Bahamas, giving away $10 million, doing this, doing that, and signing a deal for $135 million. Now, should alarm bells be going up at any point in this process, right? I mean, just I'm just saying. Anyway. He signed a two-decade, $135 million deal last year to name the sports stadium FTX Arena. The team announced on Friday they're now searching for a new stadium sponsor. And they've gotten (laughs) a bite. Now, this this is a group that has bid on naming the stadium before. It's the porn site Bang Bros.
2: Oh, I thought you were gonna say Binance was going after <laughs> no, it.
1: I, I won't be surprised. <laughs> that, that, I'm sorry, but the reports about FTX, this is a this is a quote. This is this is a true story, by the way. The reports about FTX and its affiliates are extremely disappointing. Miami tweet, uh, Miami Heat tweeted out in a statement adding Miami Dade County and Miami Heat are immediately taking action to terminate our business relationship with the FTX. We'll be working together to find new naming rights partner for the arena immediately after doing that. <laughs> of sending out this tweet, the adult film company Bang Bros posted two images of the stadium, one with bankrupt across the top picture that also said, oops, right below it. Now that was with the FTX logo on the top of the building. And they photoshopped on their own logo, which in the caption said, hey, our offer still stands. They had offered $10 million previously to name the stadium and were turned down because of their business line, right? (laughs) Nobody really kind of wants that on their stadium. (laughs) but they did promise that less people would get screwed. So <laughs> I'll bet the cheerleaders would
2: be interesting. Could be
1: anyway. Bank bros based out of Miami, tried to purchase the stadium's naming rights in 2019. And back then they actually said this in a tweet. We've officially submitted our $10 million bid for the naming rights to the Miami heat arena. We wish to thank American, thank American airlines for their past support of the heat. We intend to change the name to bank Bros center. Um, Anyway, so we'll see, but they're not going to get the naming rights. (laughs) I just want to let you know, they're not going to get the naming rights. But like I said, you know, interesting headlines for a Tuesday.
2: I just wrote my tease for the fourth segment. Yeah, no, (laughs) just just leave that one alone. This one just needs
1: to die a slow death. Um, Anyway, um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna watch. Look, I'm just gonna watch the special on the fighter jet. That's. I, I just want to know if they get it or not. Yeah, they'll just get. They'll, they'll, they can get the fighter jet, right? I mean, people buy the jets all the time, mm-hmm. right? They're just disarmed. You just can't. And get they're
2: twenty three million dollars. And, and they're yeah. twenty three
1: million dollars, but so, you know, getting the jet is no big deal, right? Just Pepsi's got to fork up the cash for it. That's hilarious you know it's it's but i love these marketing campaigns. Yeah. Somebody thinks about this stuff and then they go horribly wrong. <laughs> Didn't think about it enough. Yeah. And the big news of course is is that the fifth season of Yellowstone has now started on Paramount. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: So also the uh the Tulsa King started over the weekend
1: with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Yeah, which is also written by the same guy who wrote Yellowstone yes. and 1883. Taylor Sheridan. Yes. So good stuff. He also wrote another one um about a prison and the name escapes me now it wasn't that great i know which one you're talking yeah, about it, Yeah, it wasn't that good that's it, it, it was so memorable i can't remember the name of it i'm it, sure there's probably somebody watching our show right now it's like it's whatever i bet if you look at the feed somebody's gonna yeah. give you the title yeah. of it so he just wrote it for practice kingstown yes yeah. kingstown yeah so pretty gritty yeah it was and it was okay but it wasn't it wasn't 1883 and it wasn't yellowstone so we'll I, so i'm not so sure was sylvester stallone mm. I'm gonna give it i I'll give it a shot because Taylor Sheridan wrote it.
2: Yeah. Right. So I lived in Tulsa. Okay. For nine years. And there's a lot of inside jokes, even in the first episode, that would I Oh found you it, watched it. I found it enjoyable. Yes. You did. Okay. Yeah.
1: So all right, I'll give it a shot. We'll see if it'll last. <laughs> <laughs> it'll probably last longer than FTX. Yeah. Um we'll see how see how this goes mayor of Kingstown, that's that's the name of it. Yeah. Mayor of Kingstown. Yeah. took me a minute to get there. Um, Amazon laying off 10,000 workers. That was announced Uh, again. We talked about the issues of, you know, layoffs coming. And as the economy begins to slow down, we're going to see more and more of that as as we go. And again, it's just always the lag effect. You know, the, the first step is hiring freezes. Then you get to layoffs and terminations. It just takes a while to get there. And we're starting to see that pick up. Now, what we haven't done yet, and again, most of these layoffs have been in the technology sector, right? Amazon and Facebook and, or Meta, whatever you want to call it, Twitter. Most of these layoffs have been occurring in the technology space, which are the companies that were ramping up the most. Of course, there's going to be a lot of layoffs at FTX now. now there was a lot of ramp up in employment in 2020, 2021 because... Yeah, things were just going gangbusters, so they were just hiring everybody. I mean, it takes a lot of people to censor stuff. So, you know, they were just hiring everybody. Well, now they're having to start unwinding a lot of this hiring, and that's happening. But th- what I said previously was we haven't really seen that start in the more kind of the manufacturing industrial side of the, of the economy. Well, we're starting to actually see that. Actually, FedEx Freight is now to begin driver furloughs, Next month, because shipping is beginning to slow down pretty dramatically. Volumes of shipping. We talked about Maersk last week, the shipping container company, starting to um, you know, warn about falling shipping rates and, and falling cargo loads. So, again, the economy is clearly starting to slow on multiple fronts. And so while we're seeing the tech layoffs right now on the technology side of the sector, we'll eventually begin to see that roll through the economy as the economy continues to slow down next year. Because of why? Why? Because of higher interest rates, Fed's hiking rates, slow economic demand. It's going to eventually roll through all the sectors of the economy. It just started in the tech sector because, again, you know, they were the ones hiring the most and they were just hiring people. You know, just basically you showed up, submitted your application. They just kind of found a spot. Yeah, we'll hire you. Boom. Stuck you in somewhere. Um, I told you, like, you know, I was meeting people. Their whole job was just to monitor the the Facebook page. And I'm not sure what they were doing, but they would just monitor the the, tra- the traffic on the page, right? What was going on? And they were getting paid for this. <laughs> it's like, you have computers that will do that. Um, but, you know, so, so we're seeing that. Um, and we're starting to see that kind of slowly start to sweep here through the economy. And, again, while there's a lot of hope that – And we said this at the opening of the show today, well, there's a lot of hope that the market may have bottomed here and that, you know, the Fed's close to a pivot. Be careful with that, because historically, when the Fed begins to pivot, that's not the best time to be owning stocks, because that's where the rate hikes have now taken effect on the economy. The reason they're stopping hiking rates is because now something has turned within the economy and it's not turning for the better, obviously. And, you know, while there's a lot of hope that the Fed can engineer this soft landing and we'll just kind of slow down a little bit, it's just never really been the case historically. The soft landing has always turned into hard landings for one reason or the other, generally because something breaks, and then we're all kind of scrambling for cover. So just be a little cautious here, again, as we've been talking about over the last three, four weeks now, use this rally, take advantage of it, it's fine just be sure and take some profits and raise some cash along the way we did some of that yesterday we'll probably do some more later this week if this market rallies some more market is uh, looking to point up this morning Dow's up about 200 points right now uh S&P's up about 30 so you know we'll have a decent little open yesterday of course uh had a sell-off yesterday so kind of just getting back to even from where we were yesterday but again Use the rally, uh, take advantage of it, and, and raise a little bit of cash. All right, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Be sure and tune in at noon today for our Economic Summit. It's on Zoom. Simply get to by the website. Register there um, at realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.